But we have a short passage that we're going to look at this morning from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. I imagine many, if not most of us, will recognize it, if you don't already, by the passage reference. That can be found on page number 1174 of the Pew Bibles. This is actually such a short passage that it could almost even be one verse. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, in his conclusion, says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we've feasted as we've praised you this morning as we've reminded our hearts and souls on this Thanksgiving day, the realities, the grand spiritual realities that we have to be thankful for, that includes not only our physical provision, but our spiritual provision in Christ. I pray, Father, as we consider this text, you would continue to open up our hearts and minds that we might understand and see that you are truly worth giving thanks praising at all times. In Jesus' name, amen. I read a book once. uh, It was called The Year of Living Biblically. It was written by a secular Jew named A.J. Jacobs, and he says in the book that he considers himself Jewish like the Olive Garden is Italian, pretty much in name only. So even though he's not religious, Uh, To connect with his heritage and obviously to have a subject matter for a book, he decides to spend a year living biblically as a Jew who is going to take the Old Testament as literally as possible. And so, of course, this uh, affects the way he dresses. It affects the food that he eats. And as he lives this way, there are certain things that he finds more difficult than others, Uh, one of them being the Bible's morality. So imagine a secular Jew Uh, reading the Bible without sort of a proper way to understand the Bible. Uh, He finds the Bible's morality offensive, oppressive, archaic, and even gruesome at times. But then he says something interesting. He says he also finds it very satisfying. Through the Bible, he discovers how selfish and self-absorbed he really is. He finds it comforting and safe to live believing that there is a good God out there who is watching over him. He even begins praying every day because, of course, that's one of the things the Bible commands him to do. And at first he finds it very strange, but eventually he begins to appreciate prayer. There are times where he describes slipping into a believing phase where he says that he really feels like God is there. And that when he's praying, he's talking to someone. Now, as Christians, we know that's because God really is there, and he was made to have a relationship with him. But one of the things he discovers, and the reason I'm even bringing up this book this morning, is gratitude. So this secular guy, who's Jewish in name only, who's an atheist, discovers gratitude. 
He discovers that there's so much to appreciate about life. And so I want to read, and actually I'm going to put it on the screen, a little section from his book for you this morning. He says, I feel myself becoming an extremist, at least in some areas, like with my obsession with gratefulness. I can't stop. Just now I press the elevator button and am thankful that it arrives quickly. I get into the elevator and am thankful that the elevator cable didn't snap and plummet me to the basement. I go to the fifth floor and am thankful that I didn't have to stop on the second or third or fourth floor. I get out and am thankful that Julie, and that's his wife, left the door unlocked so I don't have to rummage for my King Kong ring. I walk in and am thankful that Jasper, his son, is home and healthy and stuffing his face with pineapple wedges. And on and on, I'm actually muttering to myself, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's an odd way to live but also kind of great and powerful. I've never before been so aware of the thousands of little good things, the thousands of things that go right every day. Sometimes my thank yous are directed at no one in particular. It's more of an appreciation than a thanks, a reminder to myself, pay attention, pal, savor this moment. But other times when I'm in a believing phase, my thanks have an addressee, I'm thanking God or the universal laws of nature. I'm not sure which, but it gives the act of thinking more weight. You see, when we're thanking someone, it gives the act of thinking more weight. And so when he says that he might be thinking the universal laws of nature, I think he even knows that that's not possible. We can't thank the impersonal laws of nature for anything. If they've provided for us, it's only accidentally. They didn't think of us individually and personally. They're not caring for us as an individual. They're not looking after our needs and then desiring out of goodness to provide for us. It's only possible to give thanks to a person who intentionally chooses to do something good for us. It's only possible to give thanks to a person who intentionally chooses to do something good for us. The universal laws of nature can't do that. And even if a person accidentally does something good for us, we we very rarely feel much obligation to thank them because we know they did it accidentally. They They weren't considering us as a beloved person. So of course there's more weight if we're actually thanking God. Another thing to notice about his observations is that all of his examples were things that benefited him or those he loved. Did you notice that? The elevator worked. It didn't plummet him to his death. He didn't have the frustration of stopping at every floor on the way up. The door was unlocked. He didn't have the frustration of searching for his keys. He walks into his home and all is well with his family. But what if the elevator didn't work and he had to take the stairs? What if the elevator stopped at every floor on the way up? What if the door was locked and his kid was deathly ill? Would he have had anything to give thanks for in that situation? You see, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica. And this is a church that's been persecuted from the day that Paul planted the church. 
Some members of the congregation have died because of their suffering. They're afraid. They've been cut off from the religious and the civic and the economic and the social life in Thessalonica simply because they believe that Jesus is king and not Caesar. These people are struggling financially. They're socially ostracized. Their fellow church members are dying. And yet Paul writes to them and says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Wow. You see, some of us here today are going to go from this place and we will feel like the man in the book. We'll see family gathered around and we will literally ache with gratitude. Our parents and spouses and children and grandchildren will be happy and healthy. Everyone will be gainfully employed. We'll all pray together over the meal, acknowledging God's hand in all of it and rightfully so. And we will truly wonder how God could be so good to us. But others of us here today will have a cloud of illness hanging over our meal. We'll look around and see someone missing. Because either they died, or they're estranged from us, or maybe they have to work or even visit the other family this year. We may be with family members who don't know God and our soul will hurt for them. Maybe we're sad and we don't even know why. Maybe we're struggling with desires for things of this world that we know we ought not to have. Maybe we're lonely. Maybe we desire good things and we've desired them for a long time, like a spouse or a child or an opportunity, and we've begged and pleaded with God, and yet this good thing that we have wanted has still not been granted to us. Yet no matter what we're experiencing today, God says to us this morning, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. When Paul commands us to rejoice always, he's saying that because there's always something to rejoice in. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount tells us to rejoice even when we're being persecuted. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Notice Jesus doesn't say rejoice and be glad because you're being persecuted and people are uttering evil things about you. No, he says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. As Christians, we don't rejoice in our loneliness, our sadness, or our sorrow. We rejoice in spite of those things because we know none of those things can take heaven from us. So when Paul says rejoice always, he's not telling us to pretend life isn't difficult He's not telling us to buck up and pretend we're not affected by the fact that someone isn't with us today. No, we are to lament for those things. 
What he is saying is look through your pain, look through your loneliness to who God is. Look at all he's done for you in Christ, and when you do that, you can and must rejoice. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is yours. God chose you, then he adopted you into his family, and he's making you holy, so rejoice. Jesus bought you out of slavery to sin with his own blood, and he forgives all of your sin. He's given you the Holy Spirit, sealing and guaranteeing your heavenly inheritance. Rejoice. He's made you alive and seated you in the heavenly places with Christ himself. And when we see all that, even with tears streaming down our face, we can still have joy. Earlier in this letter, Paul says to the Thessalonians, for you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So in spite of their affliction and suffering, they received the good news of what Christ had done for them with joy. This is the beauty of Christianity. In spite of whatever circumstances we find ourselves in this morning, there is a message that through the power of the Holy Spirit, can still flood our hearts with joy. And the call this morning is to look to that message and to what Christ has done for us. Then after exhorting the Thessalonians to rejoice always, he exhorts them to pray without ceasing. Now, there is some legitimate question about whether or not praying without ceasing is even psychologically possible. Uh, And it may not be. But at the very least, what Paul means here is that prayer should not be limited to a certain time in the morning or before meals. We are to be in conversation with God throughout the day. As we experience life, we're to have God in our peripheral vision. And at the very least, Paul is calling us to maintain an awareness of God's presence and his involvement with us as much as we possibly can. And Paul is not telling us to pray without ceasing as a way to try and manipulate God, to gain his favor, or to avoid the difficulties in life. Because if that's what we were doing, as soon as those difficulties come, we would get angry with God and bitter. I prayed without ceasing, God. Why would you let this happen? It's not a tactic to somehow influence God and get him on our side or convince him to allow life to go a certain way. Instead, We are to live this life in faithfulness, obeying his commands, trusting his promises, in faith, knowing God is good, and that he will always do what is right and best for us, talking to him as we go, asking him for what we need and what others need according to the will of God, praising him for who he is and what he's done in creation and saving us from our sins thanking him for answered prayer and for his grace and his mercy, repenting of sin. And as we talk with him throughout the day, Christ becomes more precious to us. His love toward us becomes more real, even if we don't feel his presence, right? That's the mystery of faith. Prayer is also how we rejoice always. 
And prayer is also how we give thanks in all circumstances. Again, we don't give thanks for all circumstances. We're not to be thankful because our loved one is gone or because our business is failing or because we received a terrifying diagnosis. No, we give thanks in all circumstances. We give thanks because we know that even when life is not going as the way we would choose it to go, we still have so much to be thankful for. We can give thanks because we know God is in control of every situation and that he's working all things out for our good. Paul says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. We don't give thanks for our circumstances. We give thanks in them, knowing God has a purpose for them. Which makes you wonder, well, what is his purpose? Well, he tells us in the very next verse. He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, and here it is, to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He's making us more like Jesus. He's using every difficult thing in this life to conform us into the image of Christ. He's making us more patient. He's giving us love and compassion for others in their affliction. He's giving us strength of character and a resolve to trust him even more. We're being made holy through the means of our pain and sorrow. And even though we would never choose those things, we see that he is using them to draw us more deeply into a relationship with him where true life and peace and joy are found. Therefore, we can give thanks in all circumstances. Now, obviously, we don't choose trials or hardships and pain. Our prayer is that God would lift them from our lives. But in the meantime, we can give thanks in them, knowing they are an opportunity to remember the riches of God's love toward us in Christ. In fact, this is God's will for us. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Have you or someone you know ever pondered what is God's will for me in this life? I'm sure you have. Most of us have. And usually when we're pondering that, we're wondering who we should marry, what career we should pursue, what opportunity we should choose. Should we move? Should we stay here? Yet God tells us as clearly as possible that his will for us is to rejoice always to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all circumstances. And if we did that, we would likely feel the freedom and have the wisdom to choose which one of those opportunities we should choose, knowing that God is not going to specifically tell us which one. So today, as we go off to our various celebrations, let us rejoice that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, 
Let us talk with God throughout the day, praising him and thanking him, repenting of sin, asking him for what we need and what others need according to the word of God. And if there's more weight to it when we are thanking God, can you imagine how much more weight there is to it when we're thanking him, rejoicing, and praying, even when things are difficult? What a testimony to the goodness of God when his people trust him like that no matter what. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we hear this call to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks to you in all circumstances, knowing that that is your will for us, yet, Father, confessing that it is difficult. We thank you for the reminder that we have infinitely more to rejoice in and be thankful for no matter what happens to us in this life. That even though we might have all the world has to offer, if we have you, we have enough. Help us to consider this. Help us to have this truth be real in our hearts throughout this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.